Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. As you may have heard, we started a new segment called Monday Moments. This week, we welcome Dennis Gillen to break down the stigma around mental health, how to better care for ourselves and those we love who are struggling or suffering already with suicide. It's a powerful, powerful episode that you will want to listen to and hopefully share with others in your life that may benefit from this important message. A link to the episode in the show notes. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. On today's show, we have an absolutely remarkable guest. So remarkable, in fact, that I'm going to slowly warm the water and I'm going to get you to, uh, by the end of this introduction, be on your feet. You're going to love this guy. You're going to love his work. You're going to love his career. You're going to love his heart. You're going to love the way he makes you feel about where you live, about the freedoms you have, about the gifts you have, and about the truth that the best is yet to come. But before we bring on today's guest, I want to share with you one of uh, one of my newsletters from two weeks ago because it ties, I think, perfectly into the work that Gary Sinise does. Here we go. Over the past 12 years, I have written several thousand articles, posts, blogs, tweets, podcasts, and vlogs. I've shared with you the births of my four children, the deaths of family members, and personal experiences as a family. I've shared my favorite quotes and practical ideas, difficult experiences and hurdles to overcome, fascinating people that I've met along the way, and the lessons that they've taught all of us. All of this has shared with you in the hopes that it may empower you and all of us to live truly inspired. Over those dozens of years and all of those posts and all of those interactions, I've never had a single post liked, commented, or shared as much as the one from this one three Sundays back. It's the post that has garnered more than 8,000 likes, more than 700 comments, and more than 2,500 shares. So what was the post? What was the post? Well, my friends, it was a short post about a friend of mine from high school. He was a great guy. He was always thinking of others. He joined the Navy SEALs upon graduation, and we learned recently that he had been killed while serving in Syria. I shared the post with you now to kick off this podcast, expecting that Scott's life will inspire you to do, to be, to serve, to sacrifice, to smile, to live, and when the time comes, to die in such a manner that those who know you are not only better because you were in their lives, but they remained changed forever because of it. Here's the post that I shared that went viral. Do you want me to beat him up for you? Senior year of high school at DeSmet Jesuit, I stood too close to a friend of mine as he was backing his car down a driveway. He ended up running over my foot and crushing my ankle. After a couple days at home, I finally made it back to school on crutches. Between classes that first day back, a guy that I seldom spoke to came up. He put his arm around me. He looked me in the eyes and he shared he heard what happened. 
Scott then asked if I was okay. Responding that I was fine, he then said, do you want me to beat him up for you? After telling Scott that I was really okay, it was an accident, he flashed his sweet grin and he told me, John, if I ever need anything, just to let him know. Scott Wirtz, man, Scott was always impossible to put in a typical box. He was our school's toughest running back, but was never defined by sports or hanging out with a cool group. He was strong and he was fearless, but he never bragged. He never showed off. He never talked about it. During a season of life when the big popular kids pushed around the smaller, less popular ones, Scott was one of the big popular kids, but was actually kind and sweet to the little less popular ones. He was a protector, even back then, which is why so few of us were surprised after graduation to learn he joined the military and became a Navy SEAL. If anyone could do that, it was Scott. The last time I visited with Scott was at Fort Bragg several years back. I spoke at a meeting for the special forces. The operators and their family members were all present, and Scott was there too. He approached afterwards. He'd gained 50 pounds of muscle, but he still had that goofy smile. He gave me a big hug. He thanked me for speaking. We made some small talk, and then he excused himself. He said he had to get going. We learned late last week that Scott Wirtz was one of four killed in Syria. My friends, tonight, as we watch football and we do homework and we tuck kids in and we fold laundry and we live our carefree lives, remember in your thoughts and in your prayers, the men and women positioned around the world in harm's way. Tonight, look away from the television long enough to give thanks for the real heroes. They aren't the ones playing football in some stadium. They're actually the ones out there on the field, humbly serving away from the bright lights, protecting the invisible freedoms and the incredible freedoms we have tonight. And as you give thanks for these freedoms, remember our friend Scott Wirtz. He was a humble guy, a constant protector. He had a huge smile and an even bigger heart. He was a great man and he will be badly missed by all of us. My friends, this is your day. Be like Scott and live inspired. So I wrote that post briefly on a Sunday night, sent it off, and then the thing went gangbusters, touched a lot of lives. Apparently, Scott's life and his smile and his service and his ability to protect others not only impacted me, but countless others in the community and beyond. But why open up this podcast with that story? Uh, besides the fact that I think Scott's life is a beacon to uh, be modeled, one that we can all follow and, and make ours a little bit more like, the gentleman that I have the honor of introducing you to today is in some regards a lot like Scott. His name is Gary Sinise. Gary is an incredibly accomplished guy. For those who don't recognize the name right away, Gary Sinise, well, you may recognize this one, Lieutenant Diane. Lieutenant Diane. What are you doing here? Well, thought I'd try out my sea legs. Well, you ain't got no legs, Lieutenant Dane. Yes, I know that. I, I actually saw that movie two nights ago with my kids. It's called Forrest Gump. Don't act like you didn't recognize my impersonation. It was dead on. It was perfect. This gentleman played Lieutenant Dan in the movie Forrest Gump. He did a phenomenal job of it. 
but he's done so much more with his life than just perform as Lieutenant Dan. Uh, What you may not know about him is he is married to his beautiful wife, Maura. They have three children together. He is an award-winning actor. He's a producer. He's a philanthropist. He's an author. We'll talk about part of that. He has had an incredible, incredible acting career. And yet one of the quotes that I love from Gary is this, my life's work has turned into so much more than the success that you've seen on stage or screen over the years. I've grown in my relationships with our troops, with our veterans, and with first responders. My friends, this is his passion today. He has received all kinds of awards, yes, for his work on stage, but the awards that I think ought to be celebrated most clearly and most loudly today, uh, the awards he's received outside of acting, like Honorary Chief Petty Officer by the U.S. Navy, Honorary Marine by the United States Marines, Honorary Battalion Chief by the New York City Fire Department, on and on and on. This guy is a giver. He's a servant. He is on fire. He's got a foundation, and it's all about serving those who serve us. He's an amazing, amazing guy, and you're going to hear part of his heart during our conversation, but what you should also know is on the busiest day maybe of his career, the launch of his book. He's got an incredible book out that came out when I interviewed him the day of. It's called Grateful American a journey from self to service. Gary was doing all of the big shows. I mean, all of them. He was all over New York, all over DC, in and out of trains and planes and automobiles. And he spent 25 minutes to sit down and visit with us here in the Live Inspired podcast. That's his heart. So uh, you're gonna hear his heart come through clearly. You're gonna understand the impact. You're gonna understand why I look up to Gary, why I respect him, and why afterwards you're gonna recognize your ability to not only respect and look up to him, but to be like him, to be a grateful American, to be a grateful European, to be a grateful South American, to be grateful wherever you happen to be living today and to recognize the need to go from journey from self to service. My friends, I ask you to buckle up right now. I ask you to open up wide your heads, your hearts, your journal, because Lieutenant Dan has grown into an incredible guy. His name is Gary Sinise, and he is with us on the Live Inspired podcast. Gary Sinise, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Well, thanks so much for having me, John. Man, this is an honor. I, I assumed when we first had the opportunity to sit down together, we would be talking about Lieutenant Dan and Forrest Gump and CSI, and we might go really deep and talk about the Chicago Cubs and the St. Louis Cardinals. And then <laughs> I read your book, Grateful American, A Journey from Self to Service, and it kind of blew up what I wanted to talk about. Y- you, my friend, have lived an incredible life. Well, <laughs> Thank you. I'm I'm glad you were able to read it and uh, and got a little more out of it than uh, what you thought uh, going in. That that's that makes me feel good. There's a lot in the book. I I worked hard on it and uh, and hope folks like you um, you know will will read it and be inspired by it. Well, it's a, a number one selling book across the country these days, so I'm not the only one reading it, and I know our listeners are going to check it out once uh, once we finish our podcast together. You you grew up, though. Apparently, you did not grow up an actor. You grew up in the Midwest. You're a Chicago kid. What was it that finally drew you into acting? Oh, there's, <laughs> there's a funny story in the book about that. I, I mean, I was born on the south side of Chicago. My father was in the Navy and then he, uh, he actually, uh, took pictures in the Navy and ended up 
working in the labs, uh, developing film that was coming back from the front in Korea. And then he, he actually had top secret clearance and he would develop this battlefield film and then take it over the Pentagon and the generals would analyze it to develop their battle plans and things like that. So my dad got into the film business. And then when he got out of the Navy and, and he got out of the Navy about a week after I was born. So I guess I'm a, a Navy brat, <laughs> but he, uh, he went back to Chicago and he opened up his own film editing business. And, uh, he worked very, very hard. He was there during the, the madman, madman years, you know, <laughs> the sixties mm-hmm. advertising days. And it was pretty crazy. And he would work for, you know, he'd leave on the train at 7 a.m. and uh, get home at 1 1 a.m. and he was just gone a lot. My mm-hmm. my dad, uh, my his his father uh, worked on the railroad, the Indiana Harbor Harbor Belt Railroad, for 40 years after World War One. He served in World War One. Uh, I have two uncles who served in World War Two, so I have veterans in my family, and it's a very blue collar, mm-hmm. south side of Chicago kind of thing, but. Eventually, my parents moved us up to Highland Park. It's a northern suburb of Chicago, and that's where I went to high school. Um, and, you know, I was I was actually a kid who was really struggling a lot uh, in school and uh, struggling to find my place, uh, feeling a little bit out of place and that kind of thing. Music was the only thing that I really could kind of give me some some direction. And so I played in bands, but I was getting into mischief and, uh, misbehaving quite a bit. And I was standing in this hallway with a bunch of other rockers who were in my band and they were misbehaving as well. And, and we looked like kids who misbehaved and the drama teacher walked by and said, you guys look like gang members come and audition for West side story. And I'm, I'm directing that for the spring musical. And we, you know, a couple of us went and, and we did audition mm-hmm. for it, and and I got in it. And and this know, was before theater I, was even really cool, man. So it really <laughs> is a jump to go from band into West Side Story. Yeah, yeah. I did this. I was a sophomore in high school at that time, and uh, this was in 1971. And like I said, I was kind of aimless and a little wild, and uh, all of a sudden I'm in this play, and I'm embraced by this new community of kids who really love theater and I fell in love with it. And after that, all I wanted to do was act in plays in high school. And, and it really gave me a, a, a motivation to, to do, do well. And, and I actually did do well in high school as an actor. And after high school, I started a theater company when I was 18 and, and uh, the theater company grew and we're 45 years old now. It's called Steppenwolf. And, and we have uh, now we own three or four buildings, and it started with just kids who wanted to do plays. And it really is a great sort of American dream sort of success story of starting with nothing but a passion and an idea and a desire and a drive and a persistence and uh, developing it into, into something that is lasting and, and successful. And Gary, in the in the book, you unpack it a little bit, but the the theater begins in the basement of a little Catholic church. You're paying a buck a year for the honor of using this space. It's grown into an institution in Chicago and beyond. But, but I'm curious that that 
blue collar, as you called it, that work ethic of just rolling up your sleeves and going into a basement and leaving behind the distractions, does that still fuel you today? Well, yeah, you know, the the book is called Grateful American, and and I am that's that's what I realized when I was writing the book. This this recurring theme would just keep popping out of gratitude and and the blessings that I've had, even even through the difficulties that I've had in life and uh, the successes that have kind of been able that I've been able to turn into service work and and all of that and. Uh, you know, this is a great country. It allowed me to do some great things. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of it and, uh, I'm feel blessed to, to be a part of it. And I wanted to try to express that in grateful America. You expressed it not only about your acting, uh, also about your education and about your wife, Moira. There, there's so much in the book about her. And rather than even beginning to scratch the surface, I'm just going to encourage folks again, check out Grateful American, A Journey from Self to Service. It's a love story, which means it is full of not only triumph, but tragedy and redemption. It's um, beautifully written. Well, thank you very much. I, I appreciate that. So, you, you eventually make your way from Chicagoland out west. You end up in LA. You directed Of Mice and Men. Tell me like you done before about them other guys and about us. Guys like us. They don't got nobody in the world gives a hoot in hell about us. But not us, George. Tell about us now. Because? Because I got you. And I got you. I spend all my time telling you things and you forget them. I remember about the rabbits. Was there something about that play that you wanted to see come to life in a theater? Like something that you wanted to see live on a big screen? You know, when I got into acting in high school, uh, I just couldn't get enough of it. I just wanted to be in plays all the time. And I took all the theater classes and I became a part of the theater department at the high school. And I remember when I was a junior in high school, uh, our teacher, our drama teacher, who was very influential on me and really turned my life around in in a big way in high school, she took uh, a bunch of us theater kids up to Minneapolis from Chicago. She took us up to the Guthrie Theater where they were doing three plays in two days in repertory. And one of those plays was Of Mice and Men. And I didn't know anything about Steinbeck, didn't know anything about Of Mice and Men. I saw that play and it was so powerful and so emotional. I, I can remember standing up and giving them a standing ovation at the end of their play and and just trying to shout some accolades at them and nothing would come out because I was so choked up. And uh, eventually, uh, we did that play at Steppenwolf Theater. Uh, John Malkovich played uh, Lenny and I played George. And then 10, 12 years after we did it on stage, I was able to get the rights to it and make it into a movie. Uh, it was always a beloved story uh, for for me. Uh, I remembered it when I was 16 years old and the impact that it had on me then. And I wanted to make that story into a film, and I was I was blessed to be able to get the rights to do that. Well, you did it, and you did it incredibly well. And and uh, it's going to lead in some regards to new opportunities, including one with uh, a fellow named Tom Hanks. You get an opportunity to play a role that I. I think without a doubt changes your life. The, the, the character's name is Lieutenant Dan. The movie is Forrest Gump. 
how did you first come upon that script? Well, you know, I'm of Mice and Men, I think, played a role in that because the producers and the director, Bob Zemeckis, saw the film. And I, I had produced it and I directed it, but I also acted in it with Malkovich. And they saw the film and they asked me to come and audition for Forrest Gump. I didn't know what that was or anything. I read the script and then realized the part that they wanted me to audition for was a Vietnam veteran. got blown up and lost both of his legs. You know, in the 80s, a full 10 years before I did Forrest Gump, I started working with Vietnam veterans, supporting them in Chicago uh, at Steppenwolf. And, you know, I helped uh, build a veterans memorial there. Mm -hmm. We we created a a veterans night at Steppenwolf, just focused on giving veterans a free performance. And, you know, so I spent a lot of time with Vietnam veterans. I have them in my family, on my wife's side of the family, her two brothers and her sister's husband, all served in Vietnam. And they made an impact on me. And all of a sudden, I have this opportunity to audition to play one. I very much wanted to do that. I I did an audition. And then about three weeks later, I heard back from them that I had gotten a part. And little did I know at that time that the role would would have a significance in my life that be beyond just the career-changing aspect of it, but it would play a significant role in in what I'm doing in support of veterans now. Talk about a, a gentleman named Dale Dye. Well, Dale is a former Marine. He served in Vietnam, and he uh, ended up being the technical advisor on the movie Platoon that Oliver Stone had done. And that began Dale's career as a technical advisor of military-themed movies. And he started getting hired after Platoon to train all these actors in military-themed movies. And one of those movies that he got hired for was Forrest Gump. And so he took us out in the woods, and we lived out there with the Platoon uh, for three or four days and trained in the mud with the bugs and the snakes and and the rain and everything, and we try. We formed the platoon during those four days that we were living out in the woods, and, and we did, uh, you know, military exercises, war games, uh, a lot of humping around the, the boonies out there, and it really, it really, I think that that aspect of what we did to get ready for the movie was as important as anything. It really, it really helped me to create the military leader of Lieutenant Dan, not mm-hmm. the crazy guy who gets blown up and then grows his hair out long and everything. But the, but the military leader, the guy who was leading the platoon, the guy who was, you know, whose men looked up to and, and all of that, that, that was all, that all happened during my training with Dale. Tell, tell me how you get ready, Gary, for a scene like the one when you are on the boat, when you are looking up at the heavens and you are screaming and cursing and angry about what happened to you. And, uh, and eventually redemption comes out of it. How do you even prepare yourself for a scene with that much emotion? You might remember the scene where I'm I'm stuck up on the masthead and, and uh, the hurricane is blowing and it's raining and the wind is going crazy and the boat's rocking up and down and I'm screaming at the heavens, you know. You know, what I was trying to do up there was just keep going because, <laughs> because the they had uh, these 
giant Ritter fans blowing at me from down below. They had a DC-9 jet engine blowing at me that was fired up, and so the wind was fierce, and they had water cannons going crazy, and it was just, I was just hanging on and screaming as loud as I could to get through that thing. And, you know, it was an important, important theme because Lieutenant Dan fights his demons in that scene. Right. And he's got a, he's got a lot of them. He's mad at a lot of things and he's mad at himself. He's guilty for, you know, what he feels is, uh, his negligence in, in walking his platoon into an ambush where a bunch of guys get wounded and killed. He's got post-traumatic stress. He's carrying that guilt. He's wounded. He was blown up. He, he resented Forrest Gump for a long time because he felt he should have died with his men uh, instead of being removed from the battlefield. So he's, he's fighting a lot, and he takes it all out on God at that moment. And the next thing scene, he, Lieutenant Dan is at peace, mm. and he's forgiven himself, and he's forgiven, he's forgiven everybody, and he finds peace. And he's able to move on with his life, and, and that's important. Forrest, I never thanked you for saving my life. He never actually said so, but I think he made his peace with God. That story is something that we want for every single veteran returning from war. We want them to be okay and able to move on with their lives. So let's let's pivot into that. You've begun the Gary Sinise Foundation. There's so much outreach that you are doing, Gary. It is overwhelming. I'm going through your awards. Honorary Chief Petty Officer by the U.S. Navy. Honorary Marine by the United States Marines. Honorary Battalion Chief by the New York City Fire Department. On and on and on. Was there a turning point that got you to really pivot your attention toward these veterans? Yeah, there is a chapter, John, in my book called Turning Point. <laughs> and uh, the seeds were planted in the 80s and 90s, you know, and working with Vietnam veterans and, and working with our wounded through the Disabled American Veterans Organization that I uh, came into contact with after playing Lieutenant Dan and and the seeds were planted there, but it was really galvanized, this commitment to serve and honor the needs of our military and our veteran community after September 11th when we were attacked. And I saw people reacting to that by signing up, going off to war, deploying to Iraq and Afghanistan, getting hurt, getting killed, their families struggling. And I wanted to be a part of supporting them and helping them. And so, you know, I did one thing and then I did another thing and then I did another thing and it was just on and on and on. And the more I did, the more I saw the need and the more uh, I could see that I was making an impact by just showing up and being a part of supporting them. And that all manifested itself in the creation, Gary Sinise Foundation, a full-time, full-on mission to serve and honor the needs of our veterans through the services that we provide at the foundation and with the support of the American people who donate to the Gary Sinise Foundation. And I write about that journey getting to the Gary Sinise Foundation in Grateful America. And there's, a, there's a whole chapter about Sinise Foundation, but there's a lot that proceeds of being there. Right. I mean, there's so much within your story that to unpack it just during this time. I, I think you and I are both trying to get people hungry to learn more, to read the book. 
and then to be grateful for their own citizenship and to do a little bit more and to keep asking what more can we do. As you look back over your not acting career, but service career, is there a favorite person, child, veteran experience that you've had? Oh, there's too, there's too many, too many. You know, I've been, I've been all over the world, the war zones. I've got dramatic things happen. I've had funny things happen. I've had impactful, emotional things happen through the people that I've met and who have inspired me over the years continue to serve. I've, I've, you know, been involved with the FDNY and, and uh, our first responders in New York City who were impacted so tragically and personally after September 11th. And uh, I've tried to support them in, in many ways uh, and met extraordinary people who have served our country in, in various capacities. So I've been inspired by a lot of folks and motivated by a lot of folks. And, and just I'm, I'm trying to do as much as I can. It gives purpose and meaning to my life to be able to help other people and to use my success to do some good. I try to lay out, you know, some of the reasons and some of the moments and some of the events and some of the people that have impacted me that have led to that in Grateful American and in hopes that, you know, by sharing that story, maybe others will will see um, how how they can Mm -hmm. take up the charge and do something positive. You don't have to be a famous movie actor or or have a lot of money to do that. You know, you can get out of bed in the morning and say, what am I going to do for somebody else today that'll make their lives better? And by doing that, you know, it makes us feel good, doesn't it? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, it, it makes us feel better and it's healing to be able to do that. I remember after September 11th, I was just, I was just broken hearted. I was, I was so sad for our country. So sad for the families who have lost people on that terrible day. So sad for our, first responders and, and, and our active duty military who were deploying in reaction to that. And I, I wanted to be a part of supporting them and help my country through that terrible time. And, and, and it, it felt healing to me to be able to do that. The, the pain that I felt was going away the more that I, I served. And now it's just a full-time purpose purpose-driven mission that I'm on here. At one point, I just felt called to serve. Clearly, I, I can't stop doing it because it's been an important part of my life. <laughs> well, you're, you're clearly pretty gifted at serving. And, and Gary, we have had uh, on our podcast, the band Journey. We've had famous authors and actors and leaders, big names that you certainly would have heard of and probably looked up to. And I've never had the response to the question, hey, we're having this actor on, what questions would you like to ask him or her as we did with you? The, the response from our followers has been shocking. That y- your story, man, is known, it is appreciated, it's beloved, and it is changing lives. So I, I wanted to uh, respect a few of our folks who wrote in by asking their questions. One was, who most inspires you? Who most inspires the man that you are? And that's from Sandy K. Well, it's hard to say. I mean, there's, there's been there's been too many moments and too many people in my life that have uh, motivated me and uh, inspired me to do something. Um, if I had to pick one, there's a story in a book about a man named John Vigiano mm-hmm. who, who lost both his sons on September 11th. When I met him, he was an inspirational person and somebody I just fell in love with. And he became a very, very dear friend. His story is incredible. 
he served, you know, he, he lost his sons, but he continued to serve and try to honor them by giving to others. And he was a true inspiration for me. I, I, I encourage you to read the book just to, to learn a little bit about John and uh, what he did for me. Unfortunately, he passed away this past year, but uh, God bless him. And he was a true inspiration to me for sure. And with that answer, Gary shares with me that they are about to go through a tunnel. They're going to lose reception. And so I say, Gary, listen, man, we got seven questions that we ask every guest. And his ask to me was this. He said, John, listen, man, the spotlight has been on me for too long. I'd like you to lean it back to our veterans. This is the, the reason why he does the work he does. And he asked me at the end of our conversation to shine the light on some worthy veterans in our community. I could think of few veterans that I look up to and respect more than the ones that you're going to be learning and hearing a little bit about more as we go forward together. So my friends, I ask you as you get ready to enjoy the conclusion of our Gary Sinise conversation to get ready for the Live Inspired 7. But instead of asking Gary or Lieutenant Dan these seven questions, we're going to be asking some of the veterans who have served, who have impacted, and who have previously been on the Live Inspired podcast with John O'Leary. First, we welcome back one of our favorite guests. Uh, it's one of our most popular podcasts. And for me personally, it was one of the most influential. His name is Captain Charlie Plum. He's episode 31, if you wanna listen to the entire episode. Captain Charlie Plum was a Navy veteran. He says that what got him through his years and years and years of captivity was his why his why and his purpose, his desire to come home safely to his bride. In 1963, he was in Vietnam and was on his 75th mission when his plane was shot down and he was taken a prisoner of war. Charlie, what's the best book you've ever read? Uh, you know, I, I, I think uh, probably the Bible and the, the chapter of Job is, is pretty yes. appropriate, but a current book called Unbroken, yes. Louis Zamperini was a, uh, a pal of mine, and, um, and I stood in for him in some speeches that he was going to give when he got sick. He died a couple of years ago. But his book, Unbroken, I think epitomizes your philosophy and my philosophy of, of winning through adversity. Thank you for that. Tomorrow, you discover that your wealthy uncle, maybe in Kansas, has shockingly died at 103, leaving you with millions, Charlie Plum. What would you do with that newfound wealth? You know, I, I feel a lot for the veterans that do have PTSD, and there's a program in Virginia uh, called Boulder Crest. Uh, in fact, you might think of some of these guys that put on your program, because these are veterans that have have some serious problems, and and they and they are big believers in this PTG, post-traumatic growth yes. at Boulder Crest. They're trying to set up a new center in Arizona, and I think that I'd probably uh, spend some money uh, uh, trying to put them uh, to expand expand their um, reach because they really are doing a lot of good for veterans. Uh, Charlie Plum, if your house caught fire and all living people and all living things, animals, for instance, are out. You have an opportunity to run in and grab one thing that really matters to you today. What, what would you gr go in and grab? My, you know, my first thought is get my computer because it's got all the pictures and all that stuff, but it's all backed up. So I think, I think what I would get is I have, I have a tin cup that uh, has holes in it and uh, that I brought back from the prison camp. 
uh, I had I patched up the holes with earwax so that it would hold water. And I, I keep that tin cup just to remind me of the challenge that I faced and the value of the challenge uh, within that tin cup. Oh, gosh, man. I, I've never heard that part about your story. Well, I don't think I've ever told that. Uh, <laughs> at some point, Charlie, either digitally or face-to-face, I would love to see that tin cup and... Uh, <laughs> to shake the hand of the man who drank from it. I'll send you a picture of it. Awesome, man. All right. If you could sit on a bench overlooking a gorgeous beach on a beautiful day and just sit next to anybody, living or dead, who would you want to sit next to and have a long conversation with, Charlie? I'd have to go back and talk to my mother. You know, she endured so much while I was over there. She had a full head of uh, brunette hair when I left and a full head of gray hair when I came back. But she never blamed anybody about anything. I never, I never, ever, and never heard my mother say a bad word about any human being. And and the longer I live, the more I appreciate her her approach to forgiveness. Mm. And I just would like to chat with her a little bit more <laughs> about about uh, how you forgive the unforgivable. Worthy conversation. What what's the best advice you've ever received? A coach early on in this Liberty town in Kansas uh, told me that it wasn't the things around me that was going to change my life. He was a veteran. He had shrapnel in his leg from his war. He said, it's not the things around you. It's the choices you make about the things around you. And you can choose to be a winner, and you can choose to be a loser, and you can choose to give away that choice. Yes. Charlie, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? You know, my 20-year-old self, I was graduating from the Naval Academy, had this great career, had a wonderful life. <clears throat> and the thing I tell myself, not knowing what I was going to be going through, was uh, was to believe in a purpose. You know, a whole, whole purpose at the highest priority. Mm. Next, on episode 114 on the Live Inspired podcast, we welcome Jake Harriman. After completing his service as a United States Marine and Special Operator, Jake started Nuru International to address the extreme poverty in war-torn countries, and in doing so, combat terrorist groups. Jake Harriman, what is the best book you have ever read? (laughs) Oh, wow. Um, There's a lot of great, really great books out there I could talk about. Gates of Fire, which is about the Spart- the 300 Spartans, I can yeah. talk about. Um, lots of different leadership books out there, but I think, you know, I'm a man of faith. Um, I think the one, the book that has influenced me the most, uh, and it sounds a little bit cliche, is actually the Bible. Um, I've tried to my best. I have a lot of flaws, but I've tried my best to live the principles of servant leadership that I've found in that book, and that has really shaped my life a lot. What's one positive characteristic? one trait that you possessed as a little kid growing up in West Virginia that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? <laughs> Dreaming. Man, I could dream, I could dream, not at night. I could, I could had vision as a kid. I could dream big. I tried to do some crazy stuff as a kid. One time <laughs> I, my brothers, my brother and I made this uh, potion out of, I don't know, crayons and wax and, and, and dirt and put it on my Superman cape and, and uh, it was a potion that was going to make me fly. 
and I jumped off the top of our barn to my mother's horror <laughs> and l- landed in a, in a 10 foot pile of cow manure that saved my life. Are you think. sure you made it in Stanford? That was it. Was it, <laughs> was it accepted? Did it say accepted or rejected, man? You may have just misread it. Yeah, I know what you mean, man. I've asked myself that a thousand times. Uh, well, I would suggest that a man who believes he can eradicate, uh, Hunger in the most dangerous parts of the world is still dreaming big. So I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that little boy jumping in a cow poop from the second-story barn is still jumping. <laughs> uh, third question. If your home caught fire and all living things are out and you have an opportunity right now to run in and grab one thing that matters to you, what would you run in and grab? There's a little metal, uh, little medallion. <clears throat> that I carried with me in every hit that I did in combat. And it's got a scripture verse on the back of it, Joshua 1, 9. And uh, it it gave me, uh, secure, sealed my faith, and it gave me courage to do things I never would have been able to do otherwise while I was in combat. And I gave that to my uh, love of my life when we got engaged um, because I wanted, she has to go into dark places sometimes too, and I never wanted her to, uh, to have fear. I wanted her to have the same She's so courageous. I wanted her to have the same medallion with her mm. as she goes into these places. And so uh, that's what I would, I would get. Jay, tell us what Joshua in one nine is. Uh, <laughs> I don't know verbatim. It's be strong, courageous, know that the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach and have a long conversation with anyone, living or dead, who would you want to have that nice long visit with, Jake? I think I'd like to sit with Abraham Lincoln Hmm. and just ask him, how in the world did you get through that? How did you get through that time? How did you hold everything together? How did you still believe in possibility when, when you had a nation just literally tearing ourselves apart? I think it's really relevant for our time right now. I'd ask his advice for how to get through at the time right, right now. Now, placing yourself within his body, within that top hat and that long jacket, what do you think his response back to you might be? Find commonality. You know, Americans, there are threads and values that run true through all of us. I think getting back to those basics and remembering what those are is something I think he tried to do. And to some degree, succeeded. You know, I, I was thinking recently the Boston Red Sox won a World Series, and um, a million and a half people apparently came out in Boston to party. And I don't think they were all Democrats, and I don't think they were all Republicans. I don't think they were all black. I don't think they were all straight or gay. And yet they seem to have their arms in the air, and they seem to have smiles on their face, and they seem to have a lot more in common than they had to tear them apart. And I think there's something to be learned, not just because it happened in Boston but because uh, what can play in Boston can play everywhere else. What is what is unifier is much more powerful than the things we claim as being too big to to unify. Absolutely. I think Lincoln would know this and share it more uh, articulately than I. So uh, just a couple more questions. What's the best advice you've ever received? My father once told me, um, we were sitting uh, on a fence row building a fence when I was about six years old. And he told me to hold the fence post as he was sl- swinging this huge sledgehammer over my head to hit this, <laughs> uh, hit this post. I was terrified, thinking he, you know, he's going to miss and hit me. 
and I said, Dad, I can't, I can't. And I just kind of balled up, started crying, sat on the tailgate of the truck. And he sat down with me. He was really kind in that moment. He sat down with me. He didn't yell at me. He said, hey, listen, son, I never want to hear those two words out of your mouth ever again. Never say that you can't do something. You can do whatever you want to in this world. You have to believe in yourself. And you have to believe in those who love you. Powerful advice. Jake, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? <laughs> oh, gosh. 20-year-old self. It's going to be dark. You're going to get a lot of uh, really horrific moments that you'll experience in your life that you didn't even know uh, were possible. But in those darkest moments, always know that there actually is light coming. The sun is going to come up the next day. There is truth and love in people and in this world. It's it's not full of evil. It's not full of darkness. There are good people. There is good in this world. There are There is a lot of light and hope out there, more than there is darkness. Mm. And never forget that. Even as dark as it gets, never forget that. Finally, I want to share both Captain Charlie Plum and Jake Harriman's answer to the seventh and final question. It has been said that all great people and leaders and veterans and friends on this podcast, servants, can have their lives summed up in one sentence. Men, how would you like your answers to read? First, Captain Charlie Plum. I think. I, I, that's that's another tough one. I, I I think I'd like to say he was a servant. And then brother Jake Harriman. He learned to love and learned to lead by serving others. On the Live Inspired podcast, we've also welcomed on other veterans onto our show. They include Sergeant Rocky Sickman. Rocky's an incredible guy. If you want to learn his story, and I encourage you to check it out, he is episode 16. We also had a guy, and if you've never heard his name, you're missing out. His name is Captain Jim Lavelle. He joined us on episode 90. Out of all of the podcasts that I've ever had the honor of recording, Jim Lavelle blew me away. He's the only person in the history of the world to go to the dark side of the moon twice. An incredible guy, an incredible servant. When we spoke, he was up in Chicagoland. He's still married. I heard a funny story of a friend of mine. The families were at dinner, and Jim started talking about going to the moon. This is a recent story. And Jim's wife elbows him under the table and says, Ah, oh, Jim, for the love of everything good, will you stop telling the moon story again? Okay. This dude's been to the moon twice. Tom Hanks played him in the movie. If the guy wants to tell the moon story at a Chicago restaurant, let him tell the moon story. But it just reminds us all that these are normal people doing life, ups and downs like the rest of us, but they choose to live inspired and they are beacons of life that we are called to, to live inspired too. Thank you, veterans. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your example. I want to thank my friend Scott Wirtz for what he did for me in high school and so many others and what he did for a grateful country. For his family, I recognize that some of them are actual followers and listeners and fans and friends of our community. Uh, to the entire Wirtz family, we, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for what you gave us. Um, we're better because of you. So uh, you remain with us in our thoughts and prayers. 
I want to thank the first responders. I know Gary Sinise has a huge heart to the first responders. So uh, whether fire services, police, uh, paramedics, et cetera, we, we thank you for your work. And then finally, my friends, you listeners, thank you for listening to another Live Inspired podcast. And thank you for helping make this podcast what it is. Week after week after week, we continue to grow and touch more lives. And that is because of you. I want to thank you for sharing this through social media. I want to thank you for subscribing to the podcast. If you've never subscribed, wow, now's a good chance to do exactly that. So subscribe right now. It's as easy as clicking a button. If you've never offered feedback or commented on it, what a great chance right now. It's a great way to get the numbers to elevate even farther so we can touch even more lives through your help. So subscribe and share and comment. And together, we can make a huge difference. My friends, my name is John O'Leary. This is the end of this podcast, but this is the beginning of the best of the rest of your lives. So this is your day, servants. Live inspired. <laughs>